podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Alrighty, and we're going to do something that only occasionally we are loath to do, which is talk about ourselves. Yeah, only occasionally. I want to tell some stories from our past. So we're going to go back and track the history of some of our thinking about jobs and specifically about remote jobs and distributed teams and virtual assistants, something that we've kind of always had our toe in that water since day one when we hired our first developer in California remotely, to the current day where we're launching a job board, dynamitejobs.co. In the last 60 days, we made five successful placements with a few that are about ready to close, it looks like. And we've featured over 20 jobs so far. And these are jobs that we're curating from our audience, from the listeners of this show, and placing them out there in front of the world. And it's challenging in a really unique way to hire for a distributed team in a remote company and also just for an entrepreneurial company. You know, getting back to kind of the history of Dynamite Jobs and why we did this and what we've done in the past. Gosh, I think back in when was that first time that we hired somebody in the Philippines and our designer in California it was like 2008, I think. We were really looking for cost savings at the time. We we're trying to figure out like okay, how can we build a team? How can we have a competitive advantage and and not have to pay full price for them? And so we started looking at places like the Philippines and Vietnam. Wasn't it because of how much it cost to get Drupal support at the time? Yeah, and we found some Drupal support in Vietnam for much cheaper. Drupal is a content management system. One might ask yourself, well, why were Dan and Ian using Drupal? <laughs> That's a good question. Why weren't you using Shopify or WordPress? Didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> now I get to be the salty older entrepreneur being like, I can't believe how easy you kids have it nowadays. You know, it's like you couldn't do basic things with an e-commerce store unless you had a full-time developer on your staff. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how to get that done. And we're not just like, how can I like make the most amount of money personally and like pay somebody in Vietnam very little? <laughs> no, no. It was like, how can we exist? How can we survive? Yeah. How can we exist? <laughs> That's kind of the reason why we started looking outside of where we were located is because we just simply couldn't afford it. You know, times have changed and we can afford to hire somebody here in Austin to do a lot of what we do, but it doesn't always make sense, I think. One of the things that you know we realized in the last 10 years is I think it's more important to hire someone to work with people that have the right skill set, to right, have the right attitude rather than to have the right location. Yeah. Because the location is, it's fluid, you know? Plane ticket away from meeting with this person over lunch. We got lucky in some ways because of this show. What we would do is we would put our job opportunities onto the show. At the beginning of the show, we'd be like, Hey, happy Thursday morning. We got a job opening. <laughs> we still do occasionally. And then we started sort of doing it for our friends occasionally, or people we trusted. The benefit to that was like there was a culture to it. Like people understood what we were about. That sort of thing is really hard to duplicate for entrepreneurs that are busy focused on, you know, not having a podcast about their business every week. Yeah. A lot of our 
listeners wanted to join us in some way. So if you remember back in 2012, we had this idea that we would have a seminar. And I look back on that and 44 entrepreneurs in 2012 flew to the Philippines. They spent a lot of money to do it. It was expensive. It was $2,000. I think we had an argument about it on the show. But the real interesting stuff happened on the ground there. Why did we stop doing Why It was a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work, and I don't know how much value we provided people. But the thing that I remember about these seminars the most is actually the people that were there and the people that are still part of the community. Overall, it was cool. But at the end of the experience, I don't think it was something that we were like really excited to do again. You remember what happened like a couple of weeks after that, we all joined everyone in, in Bangkok. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For one of the first DCBKKs. Was that the first or one of the first? Okay, now I remember. So we were workshopping at the seminars. And, and you know, a lot of the people that came to these seminars, they were super smart and successful. And they were just coming to hang out. And then other people were just getting started. So there's kind of a broad range. And somewhere along the way, like we got the idea, someone handed it to us probably. Well, wouldn't it be great if everybody were just able to get together for a weekend? And, you know, we could just have some seminars from everybody, share stories. And we were just like, yeah, that'd be great. So one of these nights we put up this sales letter and 85 people sign up. And we were like, okay, that's cool. We'll all go to Bangkok and hang out. And I remember the difference in feedback between the two things. We had basically spent our entire summer on those seminars, which you know I'll never forget. But we spent like one weekend on this event. <laughs> and with the seminars, people were like, you know, it was such a contact sport in so many ways, you know, like I remember somebody saying, well, you know, you said there would be healthy food here, but I don't consider that particular food to be healthy. <laughs> and there would be people who like decided on day number 10 that they didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Like that happened with one person. I think the overall feedback was like, this was interesting guys, or this was cool, or I got a lot out of it, or some people said it changed my life. Some people said, you know, you guys are jerks. I don't like this. And then with the event, everybody was like, this weekend totally changed my life. Two weeks of serving food that in our sales letter we said was healthy, and then they got there and it wasn't healthy. Or you throw an event and everybody was happy. And it was like, oh, well, most of the people were happy. It was kind of crazy. I mean, I think the reality is, is whenever you create a new product, one of the most important things is setting the expectations. Even with physical goods, that's important. But those expectations are often set by the marketplace, you know? So people know what a good tennis shoe is supposed to be like. And if you ship them some kind of piece of crap for the same price, you know, but in the case of internet marketplaces, which are emergent, you know, we ourselves, we had no idea what this should be or what it was going to be. And so in some ways, we didn't set expectations as good as we could have because we didn't really know what to expect. The reason I bring this story up is not only just to reminisce a little bit with you about that, the summer of 2012, but also to consider that like the problems that we were trying to solve there and with our apprentices that we were creating on our blog and podcast, they're sort of the same problem in many ways. You know, how can people take a step forward on their entrepreneurial journey? How can they find people worth doing that journey with? How can they build their skill sets and join a great team or lead one? It's just in the end, it doesn't feel like that's the way we want to solve that problem right now. So that's why I bring up both the conference and the seminars. We tried to, to solve this problem we've been doing with all these apprentices. So in terms of numbers, we've, I think, put 20 job ads on TMBA over the year that were essentially one way or another working with us or someone very close to us. 
So then we put up a real job board called Tropical Workforce. Do you remember this? I know you remember it because you probably wrote the check. I do, yeah. What's your memory of that site? I remember there was a couple of people that like came out of the woodwork and had really great success with it. Clay Collins was one of these people. I think he found his co-founder on that site. That was a story we told on this, this show. We'll link up to that episode. So there was some great success. And then there was a bunch of people that weren't so serious about business or, or whatnot. And I don't know. I kind of remember it being a little bit polluted. I think we had a quality control issue. And I also think we had an educational issue because, I don't know, even nowadays, it's not entirely clear what an internet business is supposed to be or a distributed team is supposed to be. But at the time, we were talking about this concept of apprentice. You know, going back to these earlier products, the reality is, is that a vast majority of people listening to this show are looking for ways that they can advance their careers, not for how they can start a business or grow a business, because those things are rarer, generally speaking. So when people would come to me and say, hey, you know, like my business isn't up and running or yet, or I'm thinking about starting a business, or I've had a couple failures and I want to get back on the right track, what should I do? Our answer was always go get an apprenticeship. Then people would say, well, how do you do that? And so we thought, well, Tropical Workforce would be a place you could do that. Your polluted comment comes from the fact that I think some people wanted to take advantage of that naivete and say, oh, great, oh, I don't have to pay these people you know, very much or next to nothing, and they can learn, you know, quote, learn from me. You know, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm kind of remembering. Some of it is, you know, you and I have both had really great experiences with mentors, and it's very hard. I think it's one of the hardest things to do to like train people how to be a good mentor or a mentee. It's just one of those skills that I developed it out of like necessity. Like I, I had to know how other people were living their lives. Like I would look at someone and I would say like, I want to live that life. And I'd say like, okay, I'm going to do any, anything and everything it takes to like be close to them and learn how to do that and whatnot. And for me, that like turned out to be like working for them for free or cheap or whatever. But that was like a means for me trading my time to get to know them. It's very hard to teach people how to do that. But we had an idea like, you know, this is how you like level up and this is how you get to know people like that. And so we tried to kind of productize it. I just wanted to run this theory by you about mentors. And I have a theory about why certain people can't get them and why that's a problem. I honestly think that if you can't identify and build yourself into a mentorship type of relationship with someone older and more experienced than you, that you may have, how do I put this? You may have some kind of arrested development or I'll just say it like some kind of like psychological social problem that might be at the core of that. And addressing that head on might be like the biggest upside possibility in your career. And I think like this is exactly what we found with that product with Tropical Workforce and like pushing this idea of like mentorship is that if you're not emotionally ready or if you're not like developmentally ready to like take on that challenge and to be in that position, then there's not going to be like a product, a course, or like a conversation that's going to help you with that. I think that's a big reason why that tropical workforce and why the apprenticeship model didn't work out so well for us. In some ways, like trying to make it easier misses the point. Like it, it ought to be tough. There are some things that only work because they're hard. And so starting a facilitation business in that space didn't work for us. Which, you know, you wouldn't think so. It, I'd put like dating in that category. 
just like put down some facts about yourself in a photo and like you're bound to find love. And that's like kind of the same idea as like the <laughs> mentorship thing. But Are you saying that doesn't work? It actually seems to work for some people. <laughs> but anyways, it didn't turn out to be a great product. You know, what happened after the tropical workforce was kind of, we decided to focus on different types of relationships. This was around the same time that we had started the Dynamite Circle. I think we had actually started the DC a little bit earlier. So we started to facilitate these conferences and these relationships with other business owners. Well, and these things happened organically and sufficiently inside the community. That's how I saw it. I mean, there's so many times that people had partnerships or they hired somebody out of the DC, because that can happen if your business is on the rocks, you're having a tough time, or maybe it's just not satisfying or at a scale. I've seen people you know, hire their CEO out of the DC or people develop a friendship and then an opportunity comes from that. So it felt to me that all the work we were trying to do with Tropical Workforce was essentially getting done informally inside the community. Do you have a profitable Facebook ads campaign? What happens when you try to increase the budget? Your return on investment drops dramatically, right? That's because scaling Facebook ads is the hardest part of the game, but it's also the most profitable. Unfortunately, it's not as easy as just doubling your budget and watching your profits double. It's a lot of hard, strategic work, and frankly, it's a full-time job. Today's sponsor, Growth Ninja, is a performance-based Facebook ads agency that specializes in scaling campaigns, helping them go from $500 per day in spend to $5,000 per day while maintaining and improving your ROI. If you want to scale your campaigns dramatically while keeping your return on investment consistent and growing, go check out growthninja.com today and let them know the TMBA podcast sent you. I want to tell a short story, Dan, and you've probably heard this, but when I moved to San Diego fresh out of college, I had a degree in industrial design. What is that? It's the design of physical products, so how they look. I remember like my computer, I had like a desktop computer and it was like on the ground, like on the floor, literally on the floor in my apartment because I didn't have any furniture. (laughs) I was like searching for jobs every day online, like on Craigslist and like whatever else was around at the time. I remember identifying like two firms in San Diego that did like quote industrial design, like they were design houses. I emailed them, I did everything like not hiring or not hiring me. I was left with the task of trying to find a company that did design work or did manufacturing, but kind of needed a designer. And ultimately, that's what ended up happening as I became a designer at the company where you're at, you hired me. But I remember being like inches away from moving to Los Angeles, because that's where like all the quote design jobs were. And this was like in 2006, I guess. I was like eight months out of school. Like I hadn't found a job yet. Like I was like, I like applied to the post office. Like I was like, oh, this degree is worthless. Like no one's hiring or whatever. And so I was like, I have to go to Los Angeles because I feel like there's more opportunity there. And so all to say, like, I feel like things have changed so much since then. Like if I was in that situation now, well, it's like the world is my oyster. I remember that sense of desperation back in those days. I had the same. You're tied to a hour and a half geographical boundary around you, assuming your car was reliable enough to go an hour and a half every day. And it just didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunities. Especially geographically. I was like, what a mistake I felt I had made by like moving to this place where there was no jobs that I could 
apply for and work at. And now I feel like it's so much different in that, like, well, you have the internet. The second thing that's happened that that is just like a little bit comical to me is like people trust that other people are working when they say they're working from home. (laughs) For like 10 years, it was like this big joke. It must change the way that businesses frame up their jobs, right? Because now all of a sudden, you have to focus on building a job that's on a revenue center. You can't just have office space, middle managers sitting at random houses around the US or whatever. Yeah. Even thinking about your situation, now expand that out you know, across the globe to people that want to be in a location or a place or a, a home for a variety of reasons and have an incredible skill set. It's an absolute revolution that you can go out and get trained, experienced professionals you know, to work part-time or to work at a great discount to what they would have to, to live in a metropolitan area. The first thing that jumped into my head about the shame of you having to move to Los Angeles is the cost. My God, like that would put you back months to move up to Los Angeles, you know, not even accounting for the time you'd spend finding a place to stay up there. You look at the cost of San Francisco now, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I think it's going to be historically funny someday to listen back to this, at least for myself. I just saw a single family home sell for $2 million in San Francisco. <laughs> now, if you're a couple working at Google, each making $300,000 a year, like you might not be able to swing that. There's a housing crisis there, and I think that there will continue to be a housing crisis there. And places are becoming less affordable, even places like Austin, where you know all these companies are moving to. The housing prices are going up and everything else. Right, yeah. That's that old model. Even the technology companies are just relocating geographically. I think when I looked at the remote jobs trend early, it was largely technical people. Like They were on this very early in the game because it's legible what they're doing. It's results-focused. You know, it's really clear what it means to be a Drupal developer, for example, or somebody who works for WordPress and, you know, plugs code into the back end. But now what we're seeing is like that heightened level of understanding happening with operations, marketing, customer service and stuff like that, which is largely the skill sets of our business. Like we're more like, you know, the business side of the aisle. Of course, technical people come to the events and stuff, but the vast majority of people that listen to TMBA are owners of businesses or their marketers or their salespeople or their operations people. And so that's really what we wanted to do with this new product is do something that's not focused on finding remote tech developers, but actually building out your team of remote professionals. We'll see. I mean, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But one of the reasons, and you know, this will change because we're very much in the iterative process, you know, is telling uh, Jessica who works with us and is largely championing this product with us. That Let's imagine this week, we've placed a, a few people in jobs. We have some new people on the board. We feel like we know a lot. Next week, we're not going to know shit. And the week after that, we're <laughs> going to know a lot. And the next week, we're not going to know shit. So one of the things that you brought up is uh, technical work. We haven't started to post like technical jobs on the site yet, like developers and things like that, because I largely feel like that's kind of sorted on the internet, or at least there's like a place where these people exist and communicate with each other. But what I don't see a lot of, and part of the reason why we started this, and part of the reason I think why we're having some early success is because there isn't a place for marketers, there isn't a place for salespeople, there isn't a place for operations managers. So much as that, like, understanding the culture of this remote working arrangement, you know? 100%. So is Dynamite Jobs going to become the butt of a joke 
on this podcast in four, on a long rambly story based podcast in four years on the show. We'll see. <laughs> but I'll tell you this: we're spending a ton of time and resources on this site. So you know, I appreciate everybody's feedback. You know, if you go over to Dynamite Jobs, let us know what you think. Post a job. Yeah. Apply for a job. Curious to know about the process from a user's perspective. Yeah, and I'll tell you part of the reason I I don't mind talking about this project that we're working on on the show. Because one of the biggest critiques that we've received over the years here is from the half of the audience that doesn't yet have businesses but wants to have them one day. And they'll often say things like, well, it kind of sucks that you guys reserve the DC for entrepreneurs, you know, or a lot of the products you do for entrepreneurs. This is an example, I think, of something that we think is really valuable to that other part of the audience, which is my advice. And I'll chuck out this word apprentice and instead say something I think is generally useful to people that want to be entrepreneurs one day is go work for a company that you can be a direct report to the CEO. And if it's not the CEO, it's somebody that is a difference maker in the business because that's how you learn. You put your hands on the controls and you learn the know-how of what it means to, to be an entrepreneur. I think that's an invaluable experience. That's both how we cut our teeth, Ian, and Dynamite Jobs provides those opportunities. So Go there, subscribe. It's 100% free. Send you an email every Monday morning with these opportunities that we're cooking up. Yeah, that's certainly one of, I think, one of the things that we've appreciated the most is being able to work directly for a CEO hire. You know, I am curious. That's one of our working assumptions is that those are the kinds of jobs that we're going to provide there. But those aren't the only kinds of jobs that we're providing there. Absolutely not. The thesis is remote jobs for professionals. But of course, you know, that's up to you what you want to get out of your career and out of your next gig. Maybe you want to have a family and you just want like a, a solid job that you can do from home. Or maybe you and your partner have always wanted to live abroad for a year and you could do that. You know, you could put your career aside for a couple of years and you could go get a great job and work from abroad and maybe take your career in some unexpected places. Honestly, that was such a important passion of mine. I remember on like all of my dreamline documents and all of my dreams was like, I just want to live abroad somewhere because I just, even going from to the edges of America, like I lived, I grew up in the Northeast. I went to school in the Southeast and then I moved to the West Coast where I met you. America is pretty similar everywhere. I'm just going to say that relative to a lot of countries, it's actually more consistent than either the news media or the travel guides would have you know. Yeah, absolutely. I just had this consuming passion that I just wanted to see how different people lived and I wanted to live with them. And to me, it was kind of crazy that it kind of, on the one hand, it doesn't seem like a big ask, you know? Like, just go live somewhere for a year. But at the time, it felt monumental because I felt like I'd essentially have to throw my whole life away in order to get that. And certainly any career momentum or cachet or respect that I had built up, like all that was going to get chucked out the back door. That's the other promise of these sorts of remote gigs is that they add an important lifestyle component that just was not available for a lot of careers that, that I certainly grew up understanding and knowing about. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. There it is. We're going to be back next Thursday morning as always. Thanks for joining me, boss man. See you then. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.